You're listening to the Agile Parents Podcast. Your number one resource for peaceful parenting, improving relationships, and cultivating smarter children. Episode one. Agile. Definition. Marked by ready ability to move with quick, easy grace. Having a quick, resourceful, and adaptable character. Welcome to Agile Parents Podcast. I'm Jahida, and I'm here with my husband, John. And our main priority in life as a newly married couple is doing everything possible to fully prepare for the next and major step in our lives, becoming parents. And that is our topic for today, Pre-Parenting 101. We view this new role that we're taking on as extremely monumental, and we're doing everything we can to research and apply what we're learning when possible and share our path with you. We believe in peaceful parenting, the use of intentional, gentle ways to guide children using empathetic and cooperative solutions versus trying to control their behavior with bribes, yelling, and punishments. It involves working with children by listening, understanding, responding, and communicating with intention. We will use peaceful parenting because we know it works, and we know it works because this is the way that we interact with each other. We see how our own relationship continues to improve as we learn skills and apply tools to discover the root of our conflicts and create win-win solutions. It is of utmost importance not only that we model how to relate with other people in our lives for our child, but also how to relate with our own minds. We know that it's our job as parents to teach our child not what to think, but how to think. We believe that the ability to think logically and use critical thinking to solve problems in all areas of life will allow them to fulfill their greatest potential. And on that note, as we embark on fulfilling our own greatest potential as parents, today we're talking to someone we highly respect. Her name is Shelly Berger-Phillips. Hello. Hi. Shelly changed her first diapers and rocked her baby brother to sleep when she was just 11 years old. Fascinated by watching him grow from a helpless infant into a walking, talking person In just two years, Shelley would later go on to study everything she could about infant and child development. She earned a psychology degree from the University of Illinois, where she worked in the labs of renowned psychologists Renee Bayarjan and Judy Deloche. Taking her experiments out of the lab and into the classroom, Shelley went on to work in Montessori schools, learning so much from the Montessori philosophy about how to fully respect young people and how to create an environment that truly suits their needs. After working at schools for several years, Shelley decided to become a nanny, where she continued to hone her skills at providing clear boundaries while allowing children lots of freedom. At this time, she also began her own journey of personal growth and transformation when she began to explore authentic relating and created some of the deepest connections she'd ever experienced. She began offering weekend workshops and coaching about authentic relating and spreading the word about deep connection. Married, Shelley and her husband have a four-year-old daughter, a five-month-old son, who is the cutest little baby ever. (laughs) (laughs) Shelly says says that being a parent has turned her world upside down in such a great way. Putting her parenting work further out into the world is crucially important to her, and so she created AwakeParent.com to help parents be relaxed and calm in the face of their children's tantrums and to support families to create peace in their hearts and their homes. 
I love that. Shelly, thank you so much for talking to us today. I imagine that you're like so busy caring for your babies. So we, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to have a chat with us. It's absolutely my pleasure. This is just one of my very favorite things to do in the world. So thank you for inviting me. I have so many things that I want to ask you about and so many different things. So I just want to just jump right in if that's all right. That's all right. And I just want to remind you, I'm happy to come back another time. So we don't have to fit it all in today. Sure, sure. So one of the things that, I mean, one of the first things I want to know is I think we all have a different way of how we got to peaceful parenting. And Mm -hmm. uh, I, I pulled up this article from ABC News and it says that 65% of Americans approve of spanking children. Oh, my word. And yeah, and I'm just I'm just curious for you. I mean, we talked about it in our uh, introduction episode, how we came to it. I'm just wondering for you, Shelly, how did you come to this way of thinking? Did you always, were you always, you know, a peaceful parent or like what was the shift or what was the aha moment that had you realize that children are people as well? And like, Mm, can you speak mm -hmm. to your, your story about that? You know, when I was a young child, um, I had a very, very close relationship with my mom. She was very emotionally supportive and and a challenging relationship with my dad. He would have some explosions of anger and um, some really sweet moments and then some sort of withholding moments. And so it was really challenging to navigate the whole that whole realm. And there were a few times in my young childhood when I was spanked. And, and those had a profound impact on me. I felt ashamed. I didn't, I wasn't physically hurt. Um, but I was emotionally hurt by the spanking experience. And, um, and so I've, I've never been a a violent person. (laughs) I've always tried to keep the peace and, and tried to be, um, as kind and compassionate as I could be. Uh, but it was really when I started studying child development, that I that I realized how incredibly important it is to be kind and compassionate to babies and children as they're developing in every possible moment because there those are critical learning experiences for those young people and that's the difference between whether they're going to trust the outside world or fear it and I want my children to be trusting and open. And so, um, so that, that had a big impact. And then the other thing is that working in preschools, um, and particularly in Montessori schools, there was no space for any of that coercion or threatening (laughs) behavior that I had seen modeled in other family dynamics. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you're not allowed to spank a kid in a private school and, um, you'll lose your job. So, as a preschool teacher, I was forced to come up with new strategies for how to help children cooperate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just because I didn't want to lose my job, essentially, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I came up with these strategies. And then when I became a parent, you know, it, it was just obvious to me, why would I ever want to hit my child? I would never, I would never hit my husband. Why would I ever hit my child? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And And I think that's, that's how it came to me, that aha moment when I was working in a school and I witnessed something that a teacher was doing to a child. And I, I, it broke my heart how this teacher treated this child. And I, I thought if it were me, she would have never done that to me because it was, Mm -hmm. it was a, a, 
something happened where the child was walking through the door and was taking too long. So the teacher said something nasty to her and told her to get out of the way or something. And I thought if it was me taking too long, the teacher would have never said had she would have never spoken to me that way. But for some reason, it was okay for her to do it to the child. And that was my aha moment when I was just like, wait, this isn't okay. She's like, that's a person too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing I want to add too is um, when you said that you worked in a preschool and you were, for lack of a better word, forced to learn new ways of doing, you know, of relating with children. And mm-hmm. it just seems when we eliminate the, that, that tool, if you want to call it the tool of spanking or, or whatever punishment, mm-hmm. once we eliminate that, um, I think it unleashes a whole new level of creativity in us. And it's the kind of creativity that I think we want our own children to to emulate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it it boggles my mind. I've actually witnessed, you know, a parent uh, grabbing a toy from a child and and saying to the child, "No grabbing." Right. <laughs> right. And and it's the same with spanking to me. You're you're going to tell a child not to hit, and then you're going to hit them. No child can understand that. Our, our actions really do speak louder than our words. So yeah, true. No, I think that the, the contradictions there that we ha- that we have come to realize is what really is going to like steer our parenting because it's like, wait, are we contradicting ourselves here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we are. You know. So, right. and I remember reading Can on I- your blog about how you were consciously trying not to snatch things from your little girl, yes. even if it was something that might have been unsafe. You know, you 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 do it out of reaction almost, and then so. To, to slow down and to actually notice what you're doing is it's really challenging. Um, it's interesting that a young infant doesn't react when you take something away from him or her. Mm. They don't grab it harder or pull it away. Mm. They haven't learned to do that yet. And so it's very easy to take something from a young infant. Not that we should do that just because it's easy, but um, I did. I got into a habit with my daughter when she was an infant of just grabbing things away that were dangerous. Mm. instead of keeping those out of her reach in the first place. <laughs> and then when she was a toddler and started grabbing things from other people, I couldn't figure out where she had learned it. Right. Right. <laughs> you it's know? a mystery. And then, right. And then suddenly I had this aha moment where I was actually grabbing something from her. And I went, oh, <laughs> this is where she's learning it. Okay. And then I wrote that blog and I made that commitment. Mm not to grab things away from her. Mm. And really I've kept that commitment. I um I don't grab things away from my children. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Once you notice it and reflect on it, it's easier to then apply it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just one of those unconscious behaviors that slip through the cracks. Yeah. Right. And one of the things that, you know, we value our our subtitle is Peaceful Parenting, <laughs> Improving peaceful. Relationships and Smarter, and smarter Children. children. And one of the things that we really value is critical thinking and, you know, doing and being being consistent with our children, which is something we're going to talk later about in the show. The The next topic that I want to go into, it is, you know, there's there's a thing that I always hear parents saying, and it's something along the lines of, well, there's nothing that can prepare you for parenthood or, 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 or when you have kids, like everything's going to change. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, you know, Shelly, we, you know, I know that you're a very aware, a very conscious person. And I just imagine that the people that are, are saying that to me maybe aren't as aware. But I'm curious, I'm curious for you, like, you know, as far as your relationship with your husband, like, 
if anything, like, or what has changed, you know, since Mm -hmm. uh, pre-kids to, you know, post-kids with your relationship with your husband and what, you know, when, what could we expect? Mm -hmm. Um, well, two things I want to say on that. First, I want to say how my relationship to the outside world has changed because that's what changed the most profoundly for me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, all the authentic world and authentic work that I've done was so hugely important to me and my life and, and relating with other people and circling and all of these things were, were central to who I was being in the world. Um, and when I had a child, my world shifted inward in a big way. And mm. I really didn't care at all <laughs> about spreading the word about authenticity or, mm. <laughs> you know, any of that stuff. All I cared about was, can I make these moments with my child the best they can be? Mm. Um, and, and so that there was a profound shift. Everything did change for me in that way. In terms of uh, my relationship with my husband, there are some big challenges that come up. I mm. mean, um, you know, it, it, having a child does impact your sex life. Mm. It, you know, it will impact how many moments you get of, to just process the two of you alone together. You know, mm. if you've got a squalling infant in the room, they pretty much take over. And so then you have to find the little moments to process, oh, gosh, when you said that, I I noticed I closed and my feelings were hurt. And, oh, gosh, I was just in a hurry. You know, so all those kinds of little processing moments that you have now will will reduce in in amount of time. And so you kind of have to get really good at resolving conflicts quickly Mm -hmm. um, so that you can stay clean and clear and and st- remain a team. Is there is there a certain method that you use to resolve conflicts quickly? Is there anything that you use specifically that you could share with us? I I really like the nonviolent communication model mm-hmm. of tuning into the underlying feelings and needs. Um, that is my that is my favorite model in terms of my own self empathy and empathy with my husband. And so what I try to do is when I feel a little off or or wonky or angry or something doesn't feel good, I try to really tune in. Okay, how am I feeling? What is it I'm needing underneath those feelings? Um, And is there a specific request I can make that will help? Um, And then if I'm feeling something, you know, with my husband, checking in with him too. Is everything okay? What's happening? How are you feeling? Is there anything you're needing? Um, and so we're constantly checking in about those things with one another. And, um, and sometimes things come up. Mm-hmm. There are times when we just actually need space from each other mm-hmm. to process. And, and that has to be okay as well. You know, right. we, we ha- used to have a sort of a dynamic where I would kind of chase him around, like mm-hmm. trying to resolve the conflict. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know anything about that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and now I've learned, both of us have learned that there are times when it's actually just better for us to go our sep- in, into separate rooms for a little while, mm-hmm. process on our own, and mm-hmm. then come back together. And, and now that that's okay, and that's not a problem in our marriage, it's really allowed us to process our conflicts a lot more efficiently. Right. We, so, have, um, we have something in place where we do, so like uh, in the agile methodology, there's a, there's a, a process is called a stand-up meeting. Mm-hmm. 
So if you're doing, mm-hmm. if you're in software development or that sort of thing, um, every day you would, uh, basically get together with your team and talk about with, like, you know, talk about with them what's working, what's not working. Mm-hmm. And me and Jahida, we currently have, we, we like outlined our own relationship vision and mm-hmm. we meet, we meet weekly to discuss, uh, exactly what's working, what's, what's not working. We have like a set plan. If like there is a conflict, how we resolve it, how mm-hmm. we actually talk about it. We actually have the entire dialogue on how it's going to, like how we talk to each other when mm-hmm. there is, when we're needing empathy and understanding. And like you said, I think like as far as when we do have children, those times are going to be shorter and there's going to be probably less resources to do that. So definitely having something in place, I think would be something really beneficial, not only for us, but for our children as well. Well, the other thing I really like about that is that you're already practicing it. So you will be able to do it in a really efficient manner when you have a child. So, you know, during a nap or when the child is somewhere else, you know, you can find those snippets. It might not be a weekly scheduled thing, or maybe you schedule childcare for that time so that you can have those sit down moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as things progress, I think it's really important to have the possibility, if not the practice, of weekly family meetings, um, mm. checking in, how sure. are things going, and getting the child's perspective on how things are going, what could improve, what's working and not working. Absolutely, getting feedback from your own child. And I think it's something that a lot of parents would resist because they may not want to give their children some sort of power. And something that I've read uh, in your in your ebook. And it's kind of the theme through it, like staying connected with your mm-hmm. child. And I think doing that sort of session where you're getting feedback, I think, I think would build self-esteem would, um, you know, show your child that their opinions matter and make yes. them, and make them, you know, you know, you're, you're basically creating someone who's going to be a healthy, thriving adult and, Absolutely. you know, practicing that sooner. Yes. And, you know, in general, I think that giving children more power is actually the answer to their defiance. Mm. Um, I think that when children are, are defiant and uncooperative, it's because they feel powerless in their own lives. And so I, I counter that by playing some, some reverse power games where mm. they're in charge and I'm the s- submissive one. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to tell me to put my shoes on and get into the car seat. Right, <laughs> mm-hmm. right. I mean, you know, there are just some logistics of the, the dynamics between parent and child where the parent really is more powerful most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so giving children that extra added sense of power really helps them to relax into that dynamic. Right. And I think that's a great segue into the next thing we want to talk about, which is you know, having the right mindset. Yeah, I think that everything that we were just talking about was preparing to have the right mindset and mindset meaning being able to regulate our own emotions when dealing with our children in order to respond to problems with compassion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not just not just with your with your children, but with yourself, even giving yourself compassion or offering compassion to your partner. Would you say that that is that should be our main priority right now before having kids is like you said, pra- practicing having these practices and and doing them in advance before before the baby comes so that we yes. are well versed in it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love, I know that I sent you a list of books and that you had already read the book, The Hard Questions. Mm, for- so good for us. 
you know, for, for couples out there who haven't read that book or, you know, those, those are the kinds of things to talk about now before having children, because once you are pregnant and looking at a birth plan and a location for a birth and you're talking about how's the birth going to go and are we going to vaccinate and, you know, these kinds of, these are intense issues for couples and you may not agree. Kevin and I don't always agree. And mm -hmm. it's a, it's an ongoing conversation between us, you know, well, okay, now how do you feel about this vaccination now that our child is older? Or, you know, well, what do you think about this school? You know, there are some major um, decisions that have to be made. And so having, having gone through some of those hard questions as just a couple, I think really helps prepare you. And then the other thing you mentioned um, to me, what the word that wraps it all up is mindfulness. You know, being aware of of our own dynamics. Yes, being aware of what my triggers are. You know, what really sets me off. I mean, for me, being hungry is is really bad for everybody in my family. <laughs> if I'm too hungry, I'm grumpy, and my four year old daughter knows this now. And so it's like there are just these moments where I'm like, babe, I'm too hungry to deal with that right now. Do you want you know a grumpy, hungry mommy or happy, present mommy? And, you know, and she is able to say, you know what? I'll wait till you eat a banana. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. Right. There was, um, there was something in your book that stood out for me as far as like the mindset, which was, I think it was something along the lines, like there is no misbehaving mm -hmm. and the way you relate to a child when you eliminate that, like, oh, the child is misbehaving when you eliminate that. Mm -hmm. Could you, can you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. So m the frame that I look through when I when I see children's behavior is that all, well actually all people all people are just trying to meet their own underlying human needs we all have these needs we have needs for simple things like food and shelter and rest and we have needs for complex things like connection and and contribution and so when I see a child doing something that would be considered quote misbehavior. So maybe they're throwing a tantrum or they're refusing to cooperate or they're ignoring you. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't see that as misbehavior. I see that as an attempt, maybe an ill-advised attempt, but an attempt to meet an underlying need. Mm -hmm. And so when my daughter refuses to cooperate with me, instead of trying to force her into it, I try to see, oh, you know, maybe she's really needing some play right now. Maybe I'm just being a little too serious about getting the shoes on and getting out the door or about taking the bath. Maybe if I bring an element of play into this, she can relax and have fun with it. And, and many times that that addition of a little bit of play resolves the problem without a power struggle. Right. And what I'm hearing in that is you're putting yourself in their position with their cognitive ability, with their, like, as they are, as yes. opposed to, oh, she's trying to get me. She's trying to get a rise out of me, which is, I think, an unfortunate thing that parents, um, some parents do. Or I'm the well, boss and she, she needs to listen to me now. Right? I'm the boss and I'm the authority. And if I don't, if she doesn't listen to me now, then she's going to end up walking all over me later and this is just going to get worse. <laughs> right. Or she doesn't respect me. You mm -hmm. make up all kinds of stories about what your child's motivation is. Mm -hmm. And and there are times, I got to tell you, 
there are times when my daughter will look me right in the <laughs> eye and do exactly what I just asked her not to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and I'm, I, and we have this very strong basis of connection and compassion. And mm-hmm. there are still those times where she will just dead stare at me and do it anyway. And it's hard not to take that personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really challenging to not think this, this person is trying to get me upset, mm-hmm. but really this person is trying to understand power dynamics. This mm-hmm. person is trying to figure out where does she stand in this family? Um, you know, when, when can she say no and refuse? And when mm-hmm. is that not acceptable? Because there are times there are safety issues where it's absolutely not acceptable for her to say no. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to run out in the street, I, I'm not going to let you do that no matter how much you want to. And and that's sometimes the phrasing that I use. I'm sorry, I, I can't let you do that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. not safe or that's not safe for your brother or that's not safe for my body. I can't let you. Sorry. I'm thinking of a time where with my niece, I asked her not to do something and she would just slowly go and do uh-huh. the thing that uh-huh. I asked her not to do. Uh-huh. And I'm just curious, what was the thing that you asked her not to do and then she did? Mm. If you're willing to share to think that. Of a, well, I'm trying to think of a specific moment. Um, I think that there was, oh, I know there was a moment just just yesterday. I asked her not to eat her vitamins until she had finished her breakfast. Mm-hmm. And so she looked right at me and stuck a vitamin in her mouth. Mm. <laughs> right. You know, and it's because she likes her vitamins. To her, they they feel like sort of a treat. And, um, and she really wanted it right then. And see, little things like that, my practice is to just let it go. Mm-hmm. I, I am not, that is not going to be a safety issue. That's not going to be a point of contention between me and my daughter. Right. I asked her not to do it. She did it anyway. I might express disappointment. You know, I, I, my feelings get a little hurt when she doesn't do what I ask her to do. Mm-hmm. And I'll share that, but I'm not going to get mad at her mm-hmm. for, right. for being defiant. Before we just transition, I just want to add one thing. When I, when I think about the situation that happened with, uh, with my niece and, when I asked her to do the thing, you know, I asked her not to go on the bed and she was basically coming, going onto the bed and the bed's really mm-hmm. high. So she could fall and like hurt herself. And I know that like, I, I feel like, no, I, I'm not, I don't feel I am responsible for her going on the bed. Like I could have, there's, there's so many ways I've could have prepared her to not come on the bed before we even entered the room that mm-hmm. it would have, I mean, there's, there's so many things that we can do as parents to, prepare our children before we go into a situation, before we go into a restaurant, before we walk into a room where someone might get hurt, that we can prepare our child. Like this room, we have to be careful. There's no running around. So if you want to come in this room, we have to make sure we're going to behave in this way. Okay. Are you, yeah. And then you get an agreement with them. And then when you walk in, you've already prepared them that, and then, and then if they do decide to do the thing that they, you, they explicitly agreed not to, then there's a point where you could be like, well, Hey, you said that you weren't going to do that. And usually after that, they understand, and it it doesn't go any further usually. But mm-hmm. um, and sometimes that, you might have to mention that, hey, if we're not acting in a safe way, we might have to leave. Right, yeah. right. And that's not a that's not a threat. It's not a punishment. It's just the facts are this mm-hmm. isn't safe. I need to make sure you're in a safe environment. Right. And it, it's funny because it could be a threat or a punishment. Those exact same words can be a threat or a punishment or just matter of fact. 
just depending on how you're feeling when you deliver that message. Absolutely. So I, we, we know that you have done a lot of coaching with with parents. And I'm just curious, is there like an underlying theme or pattern that the parents are struggling with? Yes, definitely. And, and what um, can you speak to that? Yeah, parents of young children, I'd say ages, you know, two to five, typically come to me with challenges. What well, what they say is, my child won't listen. Mm-hmm. And what they mean is, my child won't cooperate with me. Right. Um. And so there are problems with tantrums and defiance. Those are the main challenges that I see. Sometimes sleep issues come come up as well, um, but mainly cooperation is the thing that parents desperately want Mm -hmm. and they're not sure why they're not getting it you know and many and many times it has to do with that underlying connection or that power over dynamic that you mentioned you should just do what i say because i'm the adult kids don't necessarily accept that (laughs) and also like getting back to what you were saying before isn't it isn't it a matter of the child has needs and the adult has needs. And the adult seems to think that their needs are first and foremost should be met first before addressing the child's needs or. I do think that that comes up. And I think, and my strategy has been actually the opposite of trying to meet my child's needs first and then meet my own needs. So for instance, if I need to have a phone conversation with a girlfriend and I don't want to be interrupted, instead of just, you know, saying, stop interrupting me, you know, Julia, go play with your toys. Just leave me, you know, instead of that, I will say, Julia, we're going to have 10 minutes to play just you and me. And then I'm going to go have my phone call. And so I give her that dedicated time and attention up front so that she gets her tank filled up. And then I let her know, okay, now I'm going to have my phone call and I cannot be interrupted. Mm-hmm. And so then she, so in, in fact, just this morning, right before this, I, um, I read her a book right before our call so that she would get that tank filled up and wouldn't feel the need to come and interrupt. Mm-hmm. So that's what comes up a lot for parents that you coach. Yeah, this, you know, he's, he's, he's defying me, he looks right at me and does the opposite. Um, Or, you know, when he doesn't get what he wants, he throws a big tantrum. That's another big challenge for parents and parents aren't sure how to deal with that or handle that. And, and most of what I work with parents on is actually how to prevent the tantrum in the first place. Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of things that you can do. And there's a lot of lead up to a big tantrum that you may not be aware of if you're having you know if you're having daily tantrums you're obviously not catching the warning signs and signals as things are escalating right mhm a lot of awareness you have to have there yes <laughs> a lot of mindfulness yeah and when i'm relating with my niece and i ask her to do something a question that i always ask myself is what do i want the reasons for her to change her behavior to be like, I'm, I want to make sure that she has good reasons to change her behavior. Um, a bad reason would be like, because I said so, because yep. I told you so, because I'm going to threaten you, because I'm going to take something away. Like, I want to give them intrinsic reasons why. Um, right. And yeah, so, like, so, like it's yeah. actually more fun. Right. To cooperate or like it can be a fun game 
or like um, they want to help you and then you will naturally want to help them. Right. And and also to even be able so so when they're on their own and no one's watching them or they're not afraid of punishment, they'll be able to do things that are in their own self-interest as opposed to doing them because they're afraid or they're going to get punished or you're and, and you're basically creating like a big like disconnection between them when you're punishing them or even rewarding them for, for mm-hmm. certain things. Absolutely. So. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember, but I remember when I was a child, I snuck all the time. Right. Because I knew that if I got caught, I'd be punished. But it didn't mean I didn't want to do the thing. Right. I mean, I, I mean, even in high school, I remember cheating on tests because it was easier and I could get away with it. And, you know, and I didn't have that internal clock that said, oh, this is somehow inherently wrong. Mm-hmm. I just knew that I'd get a better grade if I cheated off my smarter friend. And a better grade was all that mattered mm. in my world at that time. Yeah. And that's a whole another topic. <laughs> right. School and the uh, grades yes. and right. all of that extrinsic yes. motivation. Right. And, yeah. and I know. the intrinsic motivation, I think, when you put that in place, by the nature of doing that, you'll have a more ethical child. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's kind of amazing to me. My daughter, I mean, she may just naturally have a lot of extra self-control, but she, as at four years old, I can leave her in a room with sharp knives and sharp scissors and she will not touch them mm-hmm. because she knows that they're dangerous and that she's not allowed to touch them without supervision. Right. And if she has supervision, she will ask Hey, will you watch me so I can cut this cucumber with a sharp knife? Sure, absolutely. I'll watch you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we've set things up so that she has outlets, but she knows where the line is and she can maintain that completely on her own. I, I don't have to worry about stepping out of the room with her. So speaking about knowing where the line is and outlets, there's there's something that I I struggle with and I was curious maybe you could uh, help me get a better perspective on this. So when I personally, when I see another parent at a target, like spanking their child, smacking them, yelling at them, for me, like, you know, I get, I get like sick to my stomach. And Mm -hmm. if I feel like if I don't interfere or stop that from happening and walk away from it, like I feel guilty. Mm -hmm. And because I, I don't want to see that happen to, to another child and this show is about, you know, spreading peaceful parenting. And I was just curious, being that I want to persuade other parents not to spank their children, and I definitely want to stop other parents when I see that, I guess I'm just trying to find what would be the best way to communicate this message to, or or at least just like, I feel like frozen when I see that happen, mm-hmm. when I see someone mm-hmm. spanking. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Well, I guess I'm first of all curious about, so you feel frozen. I mean, let's imagine a scenario. So you're at Target and there's a child doing something its parent doesn't like and the parent smacks their cheek and says, stop it right now or something mean, you know, yells Mm -hmm. at them or something. Um, Tell me more about how you feel and what comes up for you when you see that. Like my heart just breaks and mm-hmm. I want 
I, I just want to make that child feel safe. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, there's just like this feeling of if I do that, I, I could probably make the child feel less safe if I interfere in some way. Right. So I feel that's, and that's where the frozen feeling comes in. Yes. And I feel the same way. And I don't, I certainly don't have a solution for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggle with this as well. My strategy personally on this issue is to model the absolute best, most peaceful parenting that I can model and to, and to spread that as much as I can among people who have an interest in it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, certainly if someone reaches out to me and says, I want to stop spanking, I will work with them on that. Absolutely. But if I'm in a, a store with a parent who clearly doesn't have an interest in my input, um, I do think that it could make things worse if I were to approach. But something I might do, this might be a little bit um, underhanded, <laughs> but I would feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Something I might do is start to talk with my child about what I notice and what's going on mm-hmm. and reassure my own child that I would never hurt them. Right. Um, that That I would feel good about doing. You know, I might say, oh, Julia, did you just see that? That yeah. looks really scary. Did you know what did you notice? I might ask her questions about it. She might have some feelings, um, you know, and I might just reassure her. You know, I when I was a child, my parents spanked me sometimes, and I thought it was really scary. And I would never ever want to hurt your body. Right. Yeah. It's um. I mean, the reason why I asked that question is I I want like because because I think right now like the social norms are that if you do see another parent doing that, it's, you know, socially norm or acceptable to just pretend you didn't see it, walk away or or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, hopefully in the future, my hope is that uh, less people will be spanking their kids. So when people do see that, it will be something that people will interfere. People will stop that. I think the, the ostracizing of when people do that, I think would be like a net benefit to everybody. Like I, I guess I want to find a way to give other parents permission to to stop that in in a in the best way they 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 can. Mm-hmm. But um, personally, I think that we need to pass laws for children's rights mm-hmm. and and to make corporal punishment illegal. That's mm-hmm. my personal position on it. I think the fact that 19 states in our union still have corporal punishment in schools legal. Right. Um, that makes me sick to my stomach. And I think that's a place where we can actually take some real action, you know, sign some petitions, um, write to our congressmen and try to make some changes in the law. Um, I know that in Europe, there are some new laws that are being drafted right now about children's rights. And I would love to see more of that going on here in this country. I think that once it's illegal, it'll be a lot easier for people to intervene. Right. And the thing is, like, we, it's not where we need to change anything profound. We're just applying everything that we, that's consistent with adults, that we, you know, like, you're not allowed to go rape another person. You're not allowed to go hit another woman. You shouldn't be allowed to hit another child. It's just applying consistency as adult to adult and adult to children. So it doesn't seem that far off, but um, there still seems to be, like, children are somehow different in in some regard. 
Well, I think that because children are smaller and younger and have less, less experience, it's really easy for adults to exert power over them. Mm -hmm. And so that makes it easy to somehow convince ourselves that it's okay to do that. Sure. Um, which I completely disagree with, obviously. One resource that I didn't mention to you guys before, but I don't know if you, do you know about RIE? Yeah, I do. Janet, Janet Lansbury, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Yes. She is a wonderful resource for how to more fully respect infants, mm -hmm. right? Because there are just these things that we unconsciously do to infants and we don't even think about it. You just pick them up and take them wherever and go change their <laughs> diaper without letting them know what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, because you think to yourself, oh, they can't understand mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. me if I tell, you know. But actually, babies are very intuitive and they're very emotionally attuned. And and having a respectful conversation with a baby about what's about to happen, um, I have found it really make an impact. It, it's really made an impact on my infant and how accepting he or she might be of the diaper change. Um, and, you know, I mean, all, all sorts of changes I've seen by really just tuning into them, checking in, and then letting them know what's about to happen. Right. Right. It's fascinating. Like the things that we know now that we, we just didn't know then. Right. That, that's why we're yeah. doing this. Right, honey? Right. And, and speaking of things that we didn't know, <laughs> and now, <laughs> now that we know, I found a study, uh, a longitudinal study, and it showed that uh, spanking actually reduces cognitive ability. So they, yes. they tested children throughout, you know, starting at a younger age, and the more times they were spanked, the less cognitive ability they had. And In fact, they even had less gray matter from the studies I've seen. Right. I, that, and that's what I was going to ask you about. I was like, I know that you have done a lot of research with uh, childhood development and I'm curious of, you know, can you speak a little bit more about that and how it has influenced your thinking? So most of the research that I've participated in directly um, is infant cogn cognitive research. Mm -hmm. So I worked in a lab with, with infants and we studied what do, what do babies learn and when. So like when does a baby learn about gravity and when does a baby learn about, you know, uh, containment, what can fit inside another object. And, and when does a baby keep track of how many things went behind the curtain? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's amazing what babies know and learn. At three months old, a baby can keep track of up to five objects going behind a curtain. Mm -hmm. And when you raise the curtain, they know how many objects should be there. Mm -hmm. If there are more or less objects, they will watch longer because they're trying to figure out where did the other one go or why is there an extra at three months old. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so, so babies are, are truly little sponges. They, they come out with all kinds of knowledge already. I mean, they're learning in utero all sorts of things about language, um, emotions. And, and then once they're out in, the real world, um, they're just, they're constantly learning and absorbing information. And so to me, that just informed like how, what do I want them to be learning? Mm -hmm. Right. And like I said, I want my children to be trusting and open and see the world as a beautiful place mm -hmm. and not as a scary place. And so because of that, I want my children to have as many positive and joyful interactions as they can. 
And, and that requires a lot of behavior modification on my end so that I'm not putting my own emotional baggage onto them. Does that answer your question? No, yeah, that does. And like, we definitely value having smarter children and critical thinking. And I was just, you know, and, and I was just wondering, you know, is there anything, any specific exercises or things that you do with Julia where, you know, instead of teaching her, you know, what to think, you're teaching her like how to think? I use a lot of Montessori philosophies in my home. Mm-hmm. So in the Montessori way, we offer lots of learning opportunities, but we don't choose for the child what they want to do in, in a given moment. So I have a shelf in my home that has lots of different activities, and Julia has free reign. She can choose any of those activities whenever she likes. There are rules. She has to clean up after herself and put one activity away before she can choose another. And so there are boundaries within that. But she has a lot of freedom in terms of, you know, what does she want to explore right now? And then the other thing I do is I really try to tune in and observe what is she most interested in in this moment. Mm -hmm. So she's gone through many different phases of, of strong interests. When she was about 18 months old, she had a really strong interest in geography, Mm -hmm. um, which I found fascinating and (laughs) a little strange. (laughs) But when she was 22 months old, we went on an airplane trip and I've had this little ball that was a globe Mm-hmm. And I brought it with me on the trip and she kept, she was at that stage of development where she was pointing to things and saying, what's that? What's that? Mm-hmm. What's that? And she was pointing to countries and saying, what's that? What's that? And so I was telling her, you know, oh, mm-hmm. that's China. Oh, that's Russia. Oh, that's, that's the continent of Africa. And so when we got back from that trip, um, my 22 month old knew a dozen countries on the globe. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that I tried to instill in her, (laughs) but I I simply answered her questions, honestly, and uh, and she absorbed that on her own. Now, right now, she might not remember all of those countries at four years old. You know, learning is not this linear thing. You learn and then you lose some of that knowledge and then you relearn it or remember it later. So I'm not concerned that if she can't recognize where Italy is on the map now, she will again uh, if she has that interest. And and so I really try to follow her lead in terms of what she wants to explore. And I also believe the Montessori philosophy that the first few years of life are all about developing the senses, Mm -hmm. really getting a sensorial experience. So feeling and touching and smelling and tasting and seeing the world. Mm -hmm. And so I try to emphasize those things rather than things like, you know, teaching her math concepts or trying to get her to count to a (laughs) hundred, you know, I, I'm not interested in those, in those tangible skills. She, she acquires those naturally, but that's not my emphasis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not, not specifically, not in that abstract way, but I'm so interested in Montessori for that reason, because it is so hands-on for them. And Maybe we'll talk about that in another show. That's it's so interesting. We could to talk us. for hours about totally. That. <laughs> yes, this has been a great conversation. We've learned so much. And just to recap really quickly, I want to go over what we talked about: how crucial it is to be kind and compassionate to babies and young children, because these are critical moments in their lives, shaping how they will view themselves and the outside world around them. 
how important it is to get creative and come up with new strategies in lieu of spanking or punishing because these forms of harsh treatment can actually lead to less gray matter and less cognitive ability in children. We talked about how before the baby comes, John and I are going to be practicing and be prepared to resolve conflicts quickly and how to find those little moments to process in order to sustain and nurture our relationship. We went over the dynamic between parent and child and surprisingly that giving children more power may actually be the answer to their defiance. We went over the mindset that we'll continue to practice, which is that all people are just trying to meet underlying needs, that all of our actions are an attempt to meet some underlying need and how this mindset is really going to be the foundation for raising our child to be a healthy, compassionate, happy adult, as well as someone who is a great communicator. And lastly, we talked about how to cultivate critical thinking in our children by giving them the freedom to choose what they want to explore and really um, focusing on their interests and developing the senses in those first few years. We should end it here. We just wanted to make sure that uh, if people wanted to reach out to you and work with you, if you want to just plug yourself and let people know, how could they get in touch with you? Yeah, you can find me at my website, awakeparent.com. There's a contact me page there and you can write to me. You can write to me on my email, Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y at awakeparent.com. And then I'm really active on my Facebook page as well, which is Shelly Berger Phillips Awake Parent. So you can look me up there. And Berger is spelled B-I-R-G-E-R. It's an unusual spelling. but um, So those are some ways that you can find me. And I would absolutely love to talk with you. If you have any questions or, or just are having a challenge, shoot me an email. I'm happy to email with you and um, see what I can do to help. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. And I'm so glad uh, you took the time out of your day to be with us today. It was absolutely my pleasure and I would love to do another another podcast at another time. Have a fantastic rest of your day, guys. You too. You too. Thanks so much. So we just finished our first podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. So it only took us, what, 60 hours from inception to complete our first podcast, honey? Well, it didn't really need to be that long. Well, it should only get easier from here. Be sure to check out our show notes for all the resources and articles that we mentioned. If you're interested in creating your own relationship vision, you'll also find a complete guide on how to create your own relationship vision, as well as other resources for improving your relationship. And as a special bonus, the first 500 subscribers to our mailing list will receive a copy of our personal relationship vision, which we've worked on together for over six months, and it has brought us so much clarity and connection. We'd love to hear your feedback, suggestions, tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of. And you can do that on our website. Agile Parents, A-G-I-L-E-P-A-R-E-N-T-S.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.